Hello, everyone, and welcome to the community-funded podcast, where we bring you inside the conversation with top thought leaders and on the ground with the people who are pioneering 21st century fundraising. Be sure to visit communityfunded.com for more great podcasts and best practices, and to join us in our quest of connecting, supporting, and empowering humanity for good. I'm your host, Ryan Stover, social fundraising guru and co-founder of Community Funded, along with Matthew Wasserman, former vice chancellor of the University of Colorado Denver with over 20 years experience in institutional fundraising. Our guest today is social media and marketing expert, Julia Campbell, whose blog is consistently featured in the list of the top 150 nonprofit blogs in the world and who is an expert in social media and storytelling in the digital age. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Well, uh, Julia, if you're ready, I think we'll, we'll probably just dive into our yeah, little conversation. That so, sounds good to me. Um, you know, we're excited to talk to you because we spend most of our time working with uh, organizations that fundraise, really helping them get caught up and get on this uh, cutting edge of uh, digital fundraising and a lot of these 21st century tactics. So it's really exciting that, you know, your expertise is largely social media and email marketing and uh, really focused around this online fundraising. So maybe to start off, can you just give us a little bit of backstory, uh, maybe how you got involved with philanthropy and what your journey has been? Sure, so as we just discussed, I'm from Boston and I went to Boston University, graduated in the late 90s when social media really was being developed. I mean, it wasn't a thing yet. No one had really embraced online tools. We still had dial-up. I mean, the horrors of people listening to this podcast. Can you imagine dial-up in college? Um, and I was a journalism major, so I'd always loved storytelling and writing, and I loved marketing. I really loved all of those kinds of things, and I had always been volunteering in the third sector, either with local nonprofits or running fundraisers. I'd been, you know, running races and doing bake sales and all those kinds of things because that's what you did in the, the late 90s before online fundraising took off. So I'd really always been involved. Then I did the Peace Corps in 2000 to 2002 in Senegal, West Africa, and I worked with a lot of NGOs over there doing healthcare initiatives and promoting good healthcare practices to some of the poorest communities in the entire world. And my work with NGOs showed me that that was really what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I want, I thought I wanted to be a development director for the rest of my life. So that was the career that I pursued. I was a development director. I wrote grants. I worked for Boston University. I worked for small, tiny nonprofits. I moved to Virginia. I got my master's degree and my certificate in nonprofit management. I was on the road to being an executive director. That's absolutely what I thought I wanted to be. Then after being laid off from my job in 2008, and I was pregnant with my daughter, my first child, I really started thinking about the sector as a whole and thinking what they needed help with most and how the sector, and this is not really on topic, but how the sector, I feel, kind of sets development directors and marketing directors up for failure with impossible expectations and no resources and no support. So I thought, how can I not work the nine to five, but still sort of fill in the gaps 
for nonprofits that might not have the funds to hire a full-time marketing person or a full-time social media manager. So I started out doing freelance grant writing. Then I started doing strategy work around social media, doing a lot of training with nonprofits, how to get on Facebook. This was years ago when nonprofits were finally embracing getting on Facebook, Twitter, you know, Instagram was coming out, LinkedIn was popular, people started watching videos on YouTube and everything was happening so quickly and the organizations I worked with were feeling overwhelmed and they didn't want to be left in the dust, but they wanted to approach this work kind of strategically. And I love social media. I just love it. I know some people hate it and they don't want it to be part of their work. For me personally, I really enjoy it. I like being on it. I've always been a person that has enjoyed public speaking, enjoyed talking and debate and engagement and discussion. So for me, it was really a no brainer to embrace these tools. And then I realized, wow, I could really offer a lot of advice and skill sharing to nonprofits. So now I focus on doing online campaigns, online fundraising and awareness campaigns for nonprofits and working with them to strategically use these tools. Because as we know, organizations tend to jump on the shiny new tool without thinking it through very strategically or without creating a plan and a timeline, thinking about who's going to do the work, what is the work, what are we trying to say, what value are we providing. So really, I work with my clients to think through all of those bigger picture questions and then drill down and create a roadmap for them. Great. That's great. That's an impressive background. And it's mm-hmm. uh, it's neat how you you know really entered in the in the beginning of all, you know, social media and social media inter- interaction with nonprofit and fundraising organizations and kind of on the on the cusp or the forefront of that. And then I hope taking, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's just the beginning, huh? It's just the beginning. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, uh, throughout that whole process, what are some of the common themes that you've picked up on in terms of the challenges that uh, fundraisers face as they move into this online space? The challenges have not changed. So I've been working in the nonprofit sector for probably 15 years or so, but I've had my own business for seven years. The challenges have not changed in all of that time. It's always being resource strapped, being expected to deliver the world with no resources and no time to do it, sort of piling on these tools and piling on these responsibilities to a development director's plate that is already incredibly full. I see that all the time. When you hire a development director, they have a job description and they're responsible for a certain number of meetings and clearly they have a fundraising goal, hopefully. Maybe they do some marketing, maybe they do some community outreach. And then these social media tools start to become popular and the board says, oh, why doesn't the development director just do that? So just the adding on without realizing how much work it actually takes, I see that all the time. And then also a real fear, a genuine, authentic fear of the floodgates that might open when you go on Facebook, a fear of negative comments, a fear of transparency, a fear of being that accessible, a fear of the unknown and the power and potential of these tools, but just a real fear because you hear horror stories. You hear about the story of the Red Cross marketing manager who sent a tweet about drinking beer or something like that at midnight. Um, And 
it wasn't a bad tweet. It wasn't anything horrific. It didn't change the world. No one died because of this tweet. But the the fear of losing control, I think, and the also the fear of um, the immediacy, like missing out, the fear of missing something, getting lost in the dust, and just feeling really overwhelmed and not really knowing where to start. So those constantly, in terms of one of the biggest challenges, other than time and resources, confidentiality issues. So nonprofits, as they should be, are incredibly protective of their clients and the people that they serve, no matter what their mission is, if it's animals or the environment or advocacy, or I worked at a domestic violence shelter. So clearly confidentiality was our mission. Confidentiality and safety was absolutely paramount. So there is a fear that going on social media will decrease that confidentiality or threaten it. So my job, I feel, is to help nonprofits come up with creative solutions to kind of overcome these challenges and help them understand that these tools are not going away. They're absolutely not. This is not something that's going away. This is only something that's going to be expanding and become even more invasive. If you look at the popularity of live video and Periscope and Facebook Live and live streaming, people want to see what's happening right now. They don't want to see what's happening yesterday. They want to know what's happening right now, and they want to be inside. They want to be behind the scenes. And if you have a mission where confidentiality is paramount, it can be incredibly challenging and scary. But there have to be ways that we can work together to kind of get over that. And I'm sure you have seen that too um, in your work. Yeah, no question. Yeah, you know, it's, it's new territory. It's new to these organizations. Resources are always a, always a concern. And, you know, that, that pressure to get things done, get things done quickly, get things done mm-hmm. correctly and, uh, and, and within <laughs> limited resources. Right. And I think we were sold a lie on social media. I think people said, oh, we'll get a Facebook page and then the floodgates will open and we'll just raise thousands of dollars. Or we'll get on Twitter and we'll get discovered by Ellen and then we'll get on her show. The, these are things I've heard from organizations. So sort of that fallacy that it doesn't take time, the fallacy that it's free. It's, I always say to my clients that social media is free. Like getting a puppy is free. You can get a free puppy, you know, but you have to feed it. You have to walk it. You have to take care of it. You have to get a babysitter for it. If you leave overnight, if you go away for the weekend. So thinking about it like that is a lot more productive than sort of saying, oh, well, we'll just do it. We'll figure it out. Or it's free. It doesn't take any time. Right. And I, you know, I I get the sense that everybody's looking for the next ice bucket challenge. You know, how do we utilize this, this new tool, this new technology? And, you know, we create something as big as the ice bucket challenge. And it's just, as we say it a lot here. it wasn't even created by a nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah. It it was actually created in Beverly, Massachusetts. Really? Okay. Where I live my hometown by Peter Frady's who is a man suffering from ALS and he mm-hmm. created it with his friends, not even to raise money right. and not for a specific organization. organization. Yeah. It was to raise awareness. And then it became so huge because he's a pretty famous local celebrity around here. And he is a really talented or was, you know, really talented um, baseball player for Boston college. So then they somehow got the Red Sox to do it. And then once the Red Sox did it, that was when all the celebrities kind of did it. So 
a lot of serendipity, a lot of luck, and then it really wasn't, people don't know, it wasn't started by the ALS Association. They definitely benefited, and they've done amazing work with the money raised, but it was started completely organically. So if you build it, they won't always come. Right, right, <laughs> and oh, I've seen terrible, terrible knockoffs of the Ice Bucket Challenge. Um, I saw one about, I mean... I don't like to throw nonprofits under the bus, and I don't remember which nonprofit this was. Something about smashing pumpkins. Like, not the band, but the actually smashing pumpkins to raise awareness of that. And I'm so sorry if anyone listening, if that's your organization, but all I could think of as a mom was the mess. I was like, I'm not going to smash a pumpkin in my backyard, and I'm not going to get people to smash pumpkins and the food waste and all of that. So you know, thinking those kind of things through maybe before planning something. So maybe I can paint in some broad strokes kind of the picture that, that we're seeing and actually trying to help paint and maybe see if, um, you know, with your expertise and kind of where our focus has been, if there's some overlap and maybe some exciting things we can talk about. Uh, clearly, there are challenges across the board and they're not new challenges. They're the same old challenges, but there's a lot more complexity in telling your story and finding your audience and uh, it's a it's a noisy place out there and there's a lot of different tools and communities uh, one of the things that we have been excited about and really working on is um, you know there's the buzzword around crowdfunding and I think a lot of people have a a single conception of that of it's an Indiegogo campaign or a GoFundMe campaign and what we're what we are really excited about is how um, rather than just thinking of crowdfunding as another, you know, um, channel that you're using amongst a bunch of other channels, uh, we're really trying to help organizations centralize their communications, uh, look at having sort of a central storytelling platform where they can be um, with some regular frequency updating their community about what they're about and what they're doing and tying in a lot of these what what have been traditionally sort of disjointed efforts on Facebook and uh, Snapchat or whatever it might be, but kind of wrapping it all back into one uh, platform where people can tell their stories. And so I'd like to segue a little bit into uh, maybe your expertise in um, you know, managing digital fundraising campaigns, but also maybe um, if you would explore with us a little bit some of these ideas that, that we've really been trying to push forward, which is to, rather than be out on all these platforms, really bringing all those platforms into you um, with a with a central storytelling uh, kind of tool for an organization. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, and then I have some more specific questions, but what, are, what comes sure. to mind? Yeah, I I think what you're talking about is the, the shiny new tool syndrome, but also the feeling that you don't want to miss out. You don't want to miss an opportunity where your donors are or where donors are going to be congregating. And it's a noisy world out there, like you said. Although I really subscribe to Seth Godin's philosophy. And Seth Godin, for those who don't know him, immediately Google him. He is a marketing guru. He also provides a lot of great advice for nonprofits. But he recommends just finding your tribe and everything else will follow. So that's the first thing you need to do. Rather than jump on Facebook or jump on Snapchat or post on Instagram, figure out who you're trying to reach and what you're trying to get them to do. And then you start figuring out where they are and then the messaging that will reach them. So I think there's a lot of backwards thinking 
by nonprofits is that they're going to do the tools first and the, you know, people later, but you have to think about your people first and your people will love you no matter where you are. Um, they will get your messages. You know, they will look to your messages. Not everyone in the world is your audience. You need to really focus and narrow down and accept that there are people that are not going to be interested in your cause and they're not going to care about it. And then there are people that are only going to care a little bit about it and care about it occasionally. And then there are people that are going to be incredibly passionate, sharing your emails and sharing your posts and things like that. So thinking first and foremost about your audience. And that's the number one tip I give my clients when we are looking at a new platform. So is your audience there? Know your audience inside and out know what motivates them, know what they like, know where they are. The second is, can you provide value on this platform? Can you add something different, um, something different than what you're already doing? So I am a believer in repurposing content. I think repurposing an ebook or a blog post or an infographic or even a Facebook post, a video certainly, it can be spread across quite a few channels. But what I see organizations doing is automating and kind of putting the same 140 characters with the same hashtags across five different platforms. And it doesn't really work that way. So how are you providing value on this channel? How are you doing something different? And do you have the capacity to manage it? Do you really honestly, at the end of the day, have the staff capacity to manage all of these channels, because managing in social media and any digital fundraising, as you know, means not just creating and posting content, but looking at it, evaluating it, analyzing it, engaging with people, engaging with what other people are saying. Being, You can't just broadcast. It's not a broadcast medium. You can't just post a link and then never check your Facebook page again that won't really work. You really need to be looking at the comments and hopefully you're getting comments and likes and shares. Uh, and if not, then think about what kind of content could you post that would get that engagement. So when organizations are looking to dive into some of these new channels, especially social media, I usually ask those three questions. The other, to answer your other point about being more strategic, you need to have your website in order first. That's first and foremost, your website. People are running crowdfunding campaigns all the time and then they don't have a way to capture that information. They don't have a website. They don't have a database. They don't have an email, mar email marketing software. They don't have a way to capture the donor's information so they can then build a relationship with them. I think with crowdfunding, organizations get very focused on, let's raise $5,000 now but what happens after? How are you going to grow and build the relationships with the people that donated to you, even that $5? And kind of tying it into the ice bucket challenge, that's what happened with the ALS Foundation, is that they realized that they did not have the capacity to truly cultivate the, all of these new millions of donors that they hadn't planned on getting. And they needed to quickly create a strategy that said, oh, this person has never given to us before. They only gave because a friend asked them to. They're not necessarily interested in our cause. How can we build a relationship with them? How can we send them information, send them emails, then eventually ask them for another gift? So there's all of these different layers around digital fundraising that need to happen. 
Well, I love what you just said because um, it really speaks to the point I was uh, trying to make is that if uh, an organization or a nonprofit is driving people to other websites to do crowdfunding and you know they're they're losing the opportunity to get those people in their in their database and follow up with them and really turn them into um, you know longer uh, term supporters I think that is one of the big failings of uh, crowdfunding as a as a channel as as a tactic as opposed yep. to what you've been saying which I love it's it's what we tell people all the time is that you have to build the community first and yes. you want to build it around your values and your brand and and what you're about and really you know find those people connect those people and give them a place to go and then over time you know nurture those um, they might be small donors coming in to you know give five or ten dollars to a crowdfunding campaign but uh, kind of creating a funnel that over time can lead to more substantial support I don't know Matt if you have a couple of thoughts to add because um, I know that we have a kind of a perspective from where we sit but yeah you know we talk a lot about uh, humanizing annual fund and when you look at traditional annual fund tactics or strategies it's really about you know direct mail uh, you know, phone calls, uh, emails, it's a, it's a one-way communication. And you don't see, you know, the, the relationship of the donor being built in the way of major gifts. And, you know, people can say, well, that's because it's such a big audience and there's no way we can build these personal relationships and create that, you know, through mail and through, <laughs> through phone calls and what have you. Um, but it really sounds like, you know, through social media, um, that you can start to build relationships. You know, you find out where these, where people are, where they're living, where they're talking, where they're telling stories, and kind of you know have this back and forth communication. As long as you know you're really proactive about it, and you are focusing on kind of your strengths. You know where Definitely. where where you have connections, and you know what it, you know. Are you more prominent on Facebook and LinkedIn, and that's where you can really add value and do new things and make and you know make these connections deeper and richer but we you know we see that with crowdfunding as well you know you're bringing these people in there's a new experience it's a it's a personal connection usually because they're introduced to the campaign through a friend and then how do we keep that that communication going even after that campaign ends how do we continue to tell the story the impact of that campaign right and the just coming to terms with the fact that a lot of those people might not donate again is is something that's very hard for development directors to do if there's a big successful online campaign. But understanding what social media is really good for, it's good for raising awareness and telling stories and communicating the impact of your organization. It's not the best for an organization to ask for money. So if an organization um, energizes and catalyzes social media ambassadors to go out and ask for money and raise money on their behalf. That works really well. And that works well in crowdfunding campaigns. But if it's only the one page posting the same thing over and over and over, that doesn't work. That just just doesn't, that doesn't work. So, yeah. Right. right. But I imagine it's good for, for building that relationship. Oh, right. If it's only an ask, if it's only an ask over and over, it's not going to work. But if it's um, educating people about your mission and what you're doing and stories on social media. We talk about storytelling. That's what works. That's why we're on there. That's why, especially Facebook, maybe not so LinkedIn and Twitter, you can get away with some different types of content on those channels, but on Instagram and on Facebook, 
storytelling is front and center. People want to see pictures of faces and people and hear what they're doing and, you know, why things are important to them and what their values are. So to fit into that narrative that's already happening, nonprofits have to stop just saying, okay, we have an event or sponsor our event, come to this, do this, volunteer, give us this. They have to think about providing value, which is such a buzzword, but I don't really know how else to say it, providing value to the people that follow them on these channels. Right. Hey, Jill, when you take, I think you kind of alluded to this or you you went by it, um, but just utilizing, you know, social aspects of social media to really understand, you know, I'm going to say donors, but when I mean donors, that's that's everybody who's just connected to your organization in one way or another, but how can you utilize it to really understand and you know, kind of personalize um, those those people that are connected to your organization. You know, we, you know, I come from higher ed and in annual fund, you know, with phone calls, you use cybunts and libunts, and those are yep. really impersonal terms. You know, that's, that's what these donors do with kind of <clears throat> in terms of giving to your organization, but it's not what they're about. It's not how they are as human beings. So can you speak exactly. to a little bit to that? Well, Facebook is a great tool for that because you can upload your email list. So you can upload your Libunt's email list into Facebook, see if they follow you on the page and then target ads to them and write like a cute little ad that says, hey, did you forget about us? Or thinking about giving this year. Um, There's such great ways to personalize with ads. You have to do it with an ad on Facebook, but there just are fantastic ways to personalize that communication. So I think it's great to segment, but like you said, you do need to understand your audience in terms of what is going to trigger them to then make a gift. And that might involve really having conversations with people, calling them on the phone or doing an online survey. Um, You can do some research on Facebook and see people that like this page also like, and you can see if they like your competitors, you can see what other pages they like, you can see what magazines they read and maybe put an ad in those magazines. So you can do some research with the search bar on Facebook into what your, what your audience, what else your audience is interested in other than your institution or your organization, but just asking them just really like I said, conducting a survey or doing a lot of research, um, uploading your email list into Facebook, and you can find out a lot about your audience that way. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it, it's incredible the amount of insights that can be gained. And I guess the question then is, what do you do with them and how, right. how can you be strategic? So you you mentioned earlier, and I love that you you kind of started building some stepping stones that began with really identifying your community and you know who cares about this, who is your tribe, and then sort of that next step of really getting your own affairs in order, making sure your website is ready to you know tell your story. Um, and then we talked a little bit about some of these more tactical uh, kind of elements, but do you think there's a way you can kind of map out maybe in, again, broad strokes, if a, an organization who is maybe newer to digital fundraising or trying to figure it out is making the plunge and is trying to adopt some of these new tactics, you know, what are some of the key um, you know, pillars and components of a successful digital fundraising campaign? Right. I, it all starts with planning, and organizations hate when I say that. They want to jump right into the sexy 
tools and you know canva which is a great visual tool and they want to talk about mobile apps and they want to talk about those kinds of things so when i teach my strategic communications to nonprofits workshop and i just taught it last week an all-day workshop it's all day and we don't even get to the tools until around two o'clock and people don't like that they want to jump right in they want to say okay i'm on instagram how do i use it and i say well you really need to focus on your people and your message first then you need to focus on your website people i don't understand why nonprofits let their websites kind of go to the wayside or they let them get all, you know, junked up with plugins and a million things happening and a Twitter feed and a Facebook feed and um, 45 pages of information and PDFs and things like that. That drives me crazy. It should be as simple as possible. You want people to know, you want people to do what you want them to do right when they get to your website. So everyone has multiple audiences, but you need to figure out what are maybe the three things that an audience a visitor might do when they come to your website and have those three things very, very clear. Uh, I've seen a great example of a website that is 100% focused on getting email signups and fundraising, and it's the Beverly, the Beverly, the Boston Children's Hospital, or the Boston Medical Center, rather. I'm sorry. The Boston Medical Center, they have a fantastic website called bmcstories.org, and it is 100% focused on stories of their patients, so success stories. And then it says, sign up for our email and donate. There's nothing like about us and institutional history. You can find all that. You can find all that if you go to the main Boston Medical Center website. But they wanted a specific site to capture visitors so that they could then start cultivating that relationship through email and then get them to donate. So be laser focused on what you want people to do. You have two seconds when they go to your website, maybe even less. They're going to your website via mobile. So knowing who you're talking to, knowing what you want them to do, knowing what stories really resonate with them. Why do they give to you? Why are they interested in your organization? What matters to them? And we just all need to get out of our own way when we think about nonprofit communications because we think that something might work because that's what we're, would work for us. But you are not your audience. You are not fundraising for you. You are fundraising from your audience and your donors. So your donors could respond to something completely different. So keep so, that in mind. So Julia, uh, go, taking on that. Um, so say I'm a, uh, you know, I'm an annual fund or something, or I'm in the development shop, and I'm, you know, charged responsible with running social media and crowdfunding and, and all these new things for the organization. Right. You know, how do I, how do I work with, with my colleagues, um, you know, and cross through these silos? And maybe marketing is in a different area than development, and we're fundraising for different departments and different areas of the organization and there's you know the board involved and leadership that you know may not may or may not be as familiar with social media and you know looking at looking at these things in a different context you know how they right. how they did other things you know how can i how do we how do you break down those silos from kind of that that position it's challenging i believe in having a committee so no one wants another committee, and I completely understand you do not want to sit on another committee. But this committee could be 
sort of keeping everyone apprised of what's going on and what's on the calendar. So I know that a lot of social media managers I've worked with, they say, oh, I've got marketing coming at me because they want me to promote all these events. I've got the executive director coming at me. She wants me to post this. I've got the board. I've got this. I've got that. Everyone kind of needs to be um, on the same page in terms of the calendar. So as much as you can be coordinating the calendar um, in terms of what is happening, what are the priorities this week and how can social media augment that priority and not, and you know, there's going to be, have to be give and take. Maybe it's the annual fund. Maybe that takes full priority. Maybe it's a membership drive and that takes full priority. So having a small committee of people, a very task oriented committee, not a big committee of 15 people that's just going to create more work for you, but having a solid committee of people from within the organization that are the decision makers that are from development, from marketing, from digital media, from programs too, because programs, they absolutely need to be involved. They are the ones that have the stories that you're going to need to create all these campaigns. I, I understand that. I mean, as a development director at the domestic violence shelter, I saw that all the time. I, my office was physically in another building from everyone else. So I had an actual physical silo from uh, the program. Mine was in the building with all the administrative people and the executive director and all the programs happened in another building. So I had to really get out of my comfort zone a lot of the time and be really proactive and, and have a lot of in-person meetings with people. So if you think of your work as a social media manager, as a journalist, you're constantly talking to people. You're constantly asking people for great stories, for what's interesting. What is, you're constantly sort of on the hunt for that hook, that interesting piece of content, that photo, that video, that um, anecdote that's going to rate, that's going to sort of catch people's attention. That's really what I think a social media manager's biggest job is. Um, thinking like a journalist, getting everyone to understand how social media works, what best works on social media. So you kind of have to educate people a lot of the time. Like, yeah, well, if we keep posting thank yous to our event sponsors all week, that's not what works on Facebook. You know, this is what works on Facebook based on research or based on my own research of what our audience likes to see on Facebook. So that's my second tip is be armed with data. Um, come to staff meetings and come to these committee meetings and say, we had a 50% increase in website traffic because of our activity on Twitter. And I can show you, you know, we had 300 email signups this month because I bought $20 of Facebook ads, those kinds of things. If you can come to meetings armed with a little bit of data, then people have a hard time saying, you know, oh, well, your job is easy or, oh, well, it's not important. It's not doing anything for us. That's another refrain I hear a lot from social media managers. They feel like no one is appreciating the work that they're doing and really educating people um, is, is really important. But it's, it's hard. I mean, be laser focused on maybe the five channels that are working for you, you know, website, email, Facebook, um, you know, maybe if you're doing an annual fund campaign, some, you know, you want to make sure that all of your communications around that are all, um, cohesive and consistent, but not spreading yourself 
too thin and just sticking up for yourself. Absolutely sticking up for yourself. If someone says, let's get on Snapchat, doing the research to say, look, our audience is not on Snapchat. You know, if we're targeting donors that we want to give a hundred dollars or more, we're not going to use Snapchat for that. If you're doing an awareness campaign for teenagers, then yes, you do need to be on it. So knowing the pros and cons of each channel and the strengths and weaknesses of each channel and really being able to come to these meetings armed with the data to back up what you're doing. That's great. That's great. That, uh, it's yeah, it's so difficult being kind of that that social media manager in in an organization, especially if they're not used to these types of uh, technologies or or this oh, way of outreach and connection. That's hard. Yeah, that's that's hard. That I mean, like anything else, I think it just it's a big learning curve. I would read a lot. I would talk to other social media managers that you respect in other organizations. I think that there's not enough networking. There certainly aren't enough support groups for nonprofit professionals um, <laughs> online or off, and there definitely need to be more areas where social media managers, development directors, where they can come together and really talk through these kinds of issues. You know, hey, did this work for you? And um, I just, I feel like we all are looking at each other in a competitive lens, but it, it shouldn't be that way. It, not if you're targeting the right people that are passionate about your organization. Right, right. So I'm curious, uh, a lot of what I focus on is storytelling. Mm -hmm. And like you said earlier, I think that stories are what people care about. That's really what um, people engage with more than maybe the mission of an organization. Uh, it's really the stories of what that organization is doing. Do you have any uh, tips or thoughts on ways of effectively telling a story? What are some of the key components or, um, you know, how do you view good storytelling? Absolutely. And I mean, if I could plug my book a little bit, I just wrote a book, Storytelling in the Digital Age, A Guide for Nonprofits. Um, you can find out about it on my website. But the book is really a step-by-step -step guide into finding stories, crafting them, telling them, and then using digital channels to promote them and share them. So storytelling, there's so much that's been said about it. It's so trendy. It's this term that's thrown around. No one really knows what it means. Storytelling could be anything from a thousand word blog post to a 30 second video to a tweet. I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard of six word stories. Six word stories started as, and I'm not going to, I'm probably not citing this right, but Six Word Stories started out um, out of a writing class, and they wanted to be able to convey um, they wanted to be able to convey a message in six words. And so the story that they always use as an example is "Baby shoes for sale, never worn." So that's the story in six words. So people that say you can't tell a story on Twitter, you can absolutely tell a story in six words or fewer um, or 140 characters. So people get all worked up about a story needs to be a novel. It needs to be, it needs to have this extremely long narrative. It needs to have a protagonist, an antagonist, a plot of this and that. That's valuable and helpful. And if you have the time and the capacity to create stories like that, long form stories on your website, like I use the example bmcstories.org, if you can do that, that's fantastic. A lot of us can't do that. The smaller nonprofits 
don't have the capacity and the resources to do that. They need to create these stories on the fly. So thinking about stories less like the word story and more like an experience or a memory, asking people to share a fantastic experience they had with your organization, asking people to share one of their favorite memories that they had, asking people five questions about why they do the work, why they volunteer, what it means to them, why they donate, talking to donors and getting these stories. So stories can come from really any angle and any supporter and any person that's involved in the organization. You just have to tease it out of them a little bit. Um, and you have to make sure clearly that you are getting approval to use it. But even if you're not planning on using it in a blog post or in a video or in a Facebook post, continually cultivating that culture of storytelling in your organization and with your supporters is really important so that it's not so shocking if you decide to have a crowdfunding campaign and then you all of a sudden have a scramble to get great stories to share. It won't be as much of a shock to the people that you work with or to the people that you serve because you will have been doing it sort of all along, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. That is great advice and great strategy. And I love it with the storytelling and, and you know, making that pervasive through the organization. So let's talk about uh, volunteers and staff and how do you, you know, engaging these two groups and, you know, especially like board members and engaging board members in your social media strategy. And they may not be familiar with all social media to extent, but they're a board member. They know everything. I, mm-hmm. I didn't say that. Or we're going <laughs> to edit this, right? Um, right. But, uh, um, so yeah, just how, how those kind of uh, different groups of stakeholders. I believe giving board members very specific activities works more effectively than anything else you can do. So whether that be having them call one person and giving them that number with the person's name, or whether it be saying, look, we are running our annual fund or giving Tuesday might be a good example. I don't know how many of your customers and your um, online community does giving Tuesday, but it's a great opportunity. Something like a giving day, uh, which I know a lot of institutions of higher ed do. Yeah. That's a big thing in higher ed. Exactly. So they, They run this day, they run it by themselves, Um, they run around for 24 hours like crazy people, but using your board and saying, here is the Facebook post we would love you to post. You can adapt it, you can edit it, but here's the basic message with the URL and then giving them the visual or giving them the video to upload. So rather than saying, go to our Facebook page and like it and share something, which I've heard all the time, giving them something incredibly specific to do. If they're not on Facebook, that's fine. Maybe thinking about how they could use email or thinking about how they could use uh, a different channel that they might be, they might be on, but Facebook's pretty standard, especially among older generations. But the more specific you can be, the better, but giving them very specific reasons why you're doing it. So We are using Facebook because we really want to reach the maximum number of people on this giving day. Our goal is to get 350 Facebook shares and raise $1 million. I don't know. They're making that up completely. But having goals and saying, we really want you 
to just post one time, explain maybe your story about why you got involved, one sentence, upload this video, and send people to our campaign page. If you're not comfortable doing so, that's fine, but we, we would love for you to be able to do this. So as, as specific as you can get, and doing that every board meeting where you say, we would love for you to share, you know, we're doing this event, you're all responsible for selling tickets, but you're also now responsible for inviting five Facebook friends to the event. So just giving them very, very um, broken down tasks, I find to be very effective, but also education. I, I think that it just, um, I write a lot about social media skeptics because it's such a big problem with older board members being skeptical. They think, oh, it's all just tweeting about what you ate for lunch or Instagramming, you know, pictures of your cat. And there is a lot of that and there's nothing wrong with doing that. But when social media is used strategically for fundraising and marketing, that's not what you're using it for. So there has to be this learning curve. And I don't know, fortunately or unfortunately, when you're a social media manager or a development director, it's really your job to be educating people about what you do and the process, um, the results, and encouraging them to kind of become more informed about your everyday job, but also the importance of the work that you do. Hey, Julia, we kind of, this is another thing we touched on, but I wanted to dig a little deeper into it. And it, it really talks about that skepticism. So, you know, skepticism right. from the board, skepticism from, you know, let's say a, a the chief development officer who hasn't been involved in social media as a form of engagement or fundraising. And, mm -hmm. you know, we look at, we talk to our organizations a lot. We see, you know, the pipeline, we say, that, you know, the pipeline's drying up. I mean, the, the tactics of yesterday, you know, of, of 10 and 20 years ago, just aren't working the way they did in today's environment to engage donors and that really you know utilizing social media and these types of technology is is kind of the new new and it's and it's probably critical for engaging a whole new generation of donors and yes. you know making the case for that how that translates into potential major gift donors and you know some of the pushback is you know well you know that's not the way we did we do it you know uh, you know, we get our, our major donors through events and then we cultivate them face to face or, you know, it's the alumni or it's the volunteers, of the organization and their friends and, you know, networking and, and kind of these right. base ground games. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, utilizing social media to, you know, engage, maybe engage the next generation of donors and even build a major gift pipeline? Exactly. I, uh, that's something that I hear a lot, especially if I'm speaking to a chamber of commerce or an association of any kind where the members might be a little bit older. They worry that what I'm saying is to take everything online. There's no need for meetings. There's no need for phone calls. I am not saying that at all. I'm saying that this is just another thing that needs, it needs to be done. So it's a different way to focus some of your resources and some of your time, but keep doing things that are successful. I mean, if you send a direct mail letter, keep sending it absolutely if it's successful and clearly the phone and clearly one-on-one -on -one meetings are never going to go away and they're always going to be the best way to cultivate donors. The, on the other hand, how human beings communicate has completely changed as a result of social media and as a result of smartphone technology. 
the way we have communicated honestly has been completely revolutionized and changed. The way we expect to connect with companies and brands and organizations and even our friends has totally changed. Think about when you get a text message, you're going to respond to that text message within 24 hours or someone is going to think something bad's happened to you. And I've had that happen to me. Or someone sends you a Facebook message, you're going to respond. People are just used to this instant gratification and that's absolutely not going away. So that's all that to say is that your organization needs to really embrace and use what's best about these technologies and what's the most powerful to your advantage. So younger donors, millennials and Gen X, they don't give to causes because they get a letter once a year. So I know that might be the way that the older generation and boomers donate. They don't hear from a charity all year. They know what causes they're going to give to, usually national causes, and they know what causes they're going to give to, and they get that letter in November or December, and they write their yearly check, and there you go. And they don't care if they ever hear from the charity again. Younger donors are not like that. They want to feel involved. They want to volunteer. They want to donate their birthday, get all their friends involved. They want to hold, they want to donate in kind a lot. They want to get involved and hold like a food drive or a backpack drive. They don't just want to give money one time and then never be engaged again. And they are getting constant, constant bombardment of information from all of these other organizations at all times. So your charity could fall by the wayside if you are not almost, I'm not going to say in their face, but if you're not top of mind. So if you're sending out a newsletter twice a year, if I don't get one of those newsletters, then I won't have heard from you in, in, in six months. Um, and that would be very, very detrimental to your donors, especially to your new donors that you're cultivating. The problem with social media for development directors is that there usually is not a direct correlation between a Facebook post and an uptick in donations. You know, if you send a letter, you're going to, you know, if you spend a thousand dollars on an annual appeal mailing, and you get back 2000, you know, that was a good return on Facebook and Twitter. It's a little bit hard to figure out that path and that trajectory. And that's why people get held up. The point is you have to be using these channels to constantly communicate your impact, to show that you're a good steward of funds, to show that you're an authentic charity. I mean, if you don't post on Facebook for a month and someone goes to your Facebook page, they're not going to think you're in business anymore. They're going to say, Oh, it's not profit around. I don't know. I don't really, you're not going to get them to go to your website and do digging. You need to meet your donors where they are and where they are increasingly as they get younger and younger, they are on these social channels. Wow, Julia, that was very insightful. That was great. Well, I'm going to end with just one kind of open-ended question. Um, Let's say everything goes perfect. Uh, can you describe a, a very well-run organization that is using social media effectively and is really embracing you know, a lot of this advice that, that um, you've shared and that we've been talking about? I have several examples, but I will share an example from an organization that I work with they're called Get Your Rack Back. They are a breast cancer awareness organization. They support families uh, surviving a breast cancer diagnosis. And they work in the greater capital region of New York. One person, 
one person, it's all volunteers, one person is running this organization. They focus almost entirely on their blog and their social media. They're, they're delving a little bit into email now. But why they do so well on social media is just the pure authenticity of what they post. They know their audience. They know what their audience is interested in. They give them a lot of inspirational posts, a lot of posts about how to deal with cancer, how to deal with breast cancer, how to talk to a family member suffering. They're laser focused. They don't try to be anything that they're not. And that's why it works really well for them. So they use Facebook as a place to promote events and funnel people to their email. And then when they're joining their email list, then they get a little bit more information about the organization and then maybe a sort of a soft ask. And then they're put into their prospect database or their donor database. Very, very simple, simple, simple funnel. They have the email sign up, the donate page on their website. It's all working together as this sort of well-oiled machine, but it wasn't always that way. I mean, it really took a lot of time and effort to get it all working that way. Um, another organization that does just a stellar job in terms of social media fundraising is the St. Baldrick's Foundation. They focus 100% of their efforts on storytelling. They do not actually provide services to children suffering from cancer. They provide money to fund research. So you would think, oh, that's not very sexy and research isn't very interesting, but they share stories of the children and families that are helped by the research research that they help fund. So they focus entirely on storytelling and they tell stories on each of their social media channels, directing people back to their blog where they can learn more information, sign up for their email list, and then once they're in their email list, they're cultivated as long-term donors. So ideally the way things would work is using social media to sort of stay top of mind, convey impact, get people to share what you're doing with their networks, get people to your website where you can then capture them and then really start building a relationship with them. That makes sense. So everyone's different, but I, I think those are two really good examples. That's great. Those are great, great. examples. And I, I've always loved the principle that simplicity uh, can't be arrived at by adding things. <laughs> oh, right. You really no need to kind of- No buying email lists here. <laughs> I would never let a client of mine purchase an email list. There's no, you know, combing through adding Cobbling. people through. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. And neither of them do direct mail, which is interesting. Nothing against direct mail, but they just have found that this is the best and most efficient use of their fundraising time. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you found this conversation enlightening and entertaining. Be sure to stay tuned in as we beam down more insights, interviews, and best practices straight to you. You can find it all at communityfunded.com. Thanks, and may the funds be with you.